Welcome to Design Talk. In this episode, we speak with Ajaya Singh from True North AR, a medical process outsourcing company with offices in Delhi, India. Our host is Jack Daly. The interview was recorded on Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021. Good morning, everybody, and welcome. So my name is Jack, and I'll be your host on today's podcast, in which I'm joined by my colleagues and co-hosts, Sachin, Jennifer, and Ronan. So today, in our podcast, we've gained some really fantastic insight into the opportunities and challenges associated with offshoring and outsourcing. Um, uh, this has often been from the, well, so far, this has been from the client's perspective. This morning, we have a really uh, great opportunity to understand this, from the, uh, this process from the service provider's perspective. So with that, our guest today is Ajay Singh from True North AR, a medical processing outsourcing service provider. So um, morning, Ajay, how are you? I'm doing good. That's great. Uh, thanks a mil for joining us today. It's, it's really appreciated, especially in your, your busy schedule. So uh, I, I might just jump straight into it, uh, and Ajay, you might just explain a little bit about yourself and your background uh, and what uh, True North do for our audience. I've been associated with this outsourcing business for uh, 15 years now. And we started out with uh, acquiring a company in the United States and then building it over and uh, moving some of the business that uh, they had over to offshore India location. That is how we actually uh, built out and increased the profitability and uh, build that bandwidth to be able to acquire more business uh, for that organization. So we did not start from scratch, picked up a small entity and then we ran it. We, uh, we specialize uh, more into collections domain. Uh, started as uh, mostly healthcare collections, going on to telecom and tax collections. So uh, the business is always very dynamic. Things keep coming and going and you have to keep organizing yourself with the new businesses that you're getting new portfolios that you keep getting. And that's exactly what we've been doing for the last. Excellent. And one of the things that uh, I'm saying good morning to everybody over here in Ireland, but it's obviously a vastly different time over in India. Um, what, what time is it there at the moment? Right now, it's almost about four o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. But technically, my, my day generally for the last 15 years starts at this time of the day. It's interesting to say that uh, our schedule and our body clock, as we say, changes over a period of time. And uh, I generally sleep at around four o'clock in the morning and I've been doing it for the last 15 years. Uh, but then the body clock adjusts. And, uh, but you have to be disciplined. Uh, that's one very important factor when you are in the outsourcing business, where you have to be very disciplined. You have to understand that this is the timeline. This is the time that you're working with. Uh, it uh, Sometimes some people really cannot uh, adjust to that because they think, okay, now it's daytime, so I can go ahead and do all the other activities like other people. Discipline is the key. And I think that like we had a brief conversation beforehand, and you mentioned that the starting day for your most of your team is half six. And as they come in, they say good morning, and and that's sort of culture. And what's that? How do you keep, I suppose, uh, morale up and motivation? Because it has to be difficult working at such a late life cycle. Um, and I suppose uh, bringing that a bit further, attracting talent to make sure that they do work these sort of life cycles. How do you deal? Uh, there are two, two two aspects to this. Uh, one is uh, 
We uh, definitely, the environment that we provide to our people, it is uh, slightly better than the environment that the domestic companies actually. We provide them a better office. Uh, we understand that people actually uh, need to be traveling late. So we make sure that uh, because people are up uh, against the natural body clock, we dissuade people from driving themselves to the office. We organize home pickup and drop for everybody. So that uh, suppose if people are leaving at three o'clock in the morning and somebody falls, feels sleepy or whatever, we don't want to take that risk. So we make sure that everybody is provided by a bit of pickup from home. That is one that ensures security of people moving late in the night. And it uh, it's definitely more secure. Second, of course, we understand uh, that there are a lot of youngsters who come and join our organization. When they're starting up their careers. They're away from their families. We make sure that we have a very good cafeteria in-house. And we provide them with one very good meal, uh, a dinner per se, which essentially, again, uh, works as a good uh, motivational point uh, for, for people because when they go back from the office, they go back home, they go to sleep with a small grub, then they get up, get ready, and want to come to the office. Uh, one good meal is something that, and that it, if that good meal happens in a good environment with friends and colleagues that they're working, that's actually one uh, additional motivational factor and we ensure that, that these two things definitely are very important pull for our people. It's not that they can't buy food for themselves otherwise, but yes, uh, having a good meal, sitting with their friends on a daily basis, we give them that uh, one good hour over there and that makes a lot of difference. Well, that's something I personally relate to a lot because I, I have to eat every two uh, two hours. So, so that's 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 something that's important to me anyway. So, if I was working with you guys, um, so you you mentioned a little bit at, at the start, um, um, when when you're explaining about uh, True North, right, and about how this sort of the sales have grown organically. But um, obviously, sales and growth and pipeline management is 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 very important. How do you approach new client developments, and 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 how do you build a sales pipeline, especially from a distance? When somebody is starting, there are two two factors to that. One is you already have a business that you're running the business. You have already proven yourself in the market to your clients. In that case, of course, one thing leads to the other. First factor where you get good references. And uh, when you, uh, there, there are a lot of RFPs that are floated in the market. If you have proven track record, it is easier for you to go and uh, meet these people, uh, show, showcase uh, your capabilities. There are various ways of being able to impress people, of course, there. Uh, in this business, uh, it is very difficult to go and say exactly what you're doing for what customer. So there's a lot of uh, data sensitivity and business sensitivity that is involved. Uh, however, uh, there, there are ways to be able to tell how, how good you, are, you have been performing for your clients. The second aspect is when you're actually starting and the class that we have some people might be interested in, uh, in starting their own. If you're looking to start your own venture, the most important thing is connectivity. Uh, of course, when we started, it was different. Now it's become definitely much easier to be able to build all those connectivity. But along with that decent connectivity or good connectivity, 
it is very important that you build the uh, security aspect for the data that you will be handling for me. Because all business, every service that you provide is based on certain data elements that your client will be sharing with you. And for every client, that data is very important. Data security is very important. One of the key factors besides your infrastructure, besides your own talent, is make sure do not compromise on in, uh, investing uh, in reasonable technology for data security. Uh, having good con controls on data security, that's the key uh, and a very paramount uh, feature that any client will be looking at. I understand. Like it's a, you've led into a very interesting topic, which is the, the the concept of building trust between yourself and the, and the client. And um, we, we've read in, in a previous article the idea of anxiety of choosing a um, a, a, a outsource partner or offshore partner. So aside from the, the the data and the protection and sort of emphasizing the security, how do you go about building the trust um, and maintaining that trust uh, with a potential customer? You know, one, one thing that we need to understand here, uh, when you set up a BPO business, you might be the owner of that business, but you, you have to always understand that your business is technically co-owned by your client. You have to be absolutely transparent. And uh, the big difference between contract manufacturing or outsourcing manufacturing is that they will tell you that we need this. You do it, you have your own SOPs, you have your own processes, you have your own systems. And they're more interested in the end result. Whereas in the PPO business, in this outsourcing business, your client is always interested and a good client will always very keenly monitor every step of the business. How you're approaching the business, how you're conceptualizing it, how you're training yourself, how you're hiring your people, what kind of people you're hiring, uh, what, what, uh, how long are you able to retain your people, uh, what kind of salaries are you paying to your people, are your people really motivated and, and working. So every aspect of your business, the smallest possible aspect, you have to build that transparency and make sure that your client is bought into this transparency. Uh, so, sometimes uh, telling a bit more is better than trying try not to tell them. In this business, the more transparent you have with your client, more visibility that you give to your client of exactly how you are doing, doing, the, do, doing and from A to B to C to D, every milestone, how you're reaching that milestone, the more you share with your client and more you build systems to be able to let your client understand exactly what you're doing, that, that this gives two advantages. One, it builds your relationship with the client. Client is assured of what the things are doing. And client also understands the challenges that you face. There's no business where there won't be challenges. You will be facing challenges. And when your client is able to appreciate the challenges that you face, Sometimes they will come with the solutions. Sometimes you will find, and that's been the, most of the cases, the clients realize that they have also faced the similar challenges when they were doing the same thing in-house. And they appreciate and uh, work with you to be able to overcome those challenges. At the 
my most micro level, go for tra transparency, how, how you're building your office, how your office is laid out. We, we share with our people the design of our office, the reason why we are seating people from one place to another place. There are different reporting structures. Which group is reporting to which manager? So uh, in the net cell, transparency is what build, uh, builds a, a relationship and confidence that yes, uh, we are working together to, to meet the same goal. Uh, with um, okay, so 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 all businesses, right? Uh, often start from an entrepreneur that's passionate, that has a vision, right? But may not be an expert in this sort of area, and which means they may be wrong, but not willing to admit it. Um, how do you manage that dynamic between the client and uh, your experience, and make? Uh, and I suppose what I'm saying is that you know the right way from your experience to do this, and the client may want it done a different way, and you would may disagree. How, how would you handle that? Um, at those sort of disagreements. So the, the, the key factor in this uh, business essentially is your work has been assigned to you. Break it into as small segments as possible. Uh, most of the work in this world, 90% is repetitive work that people do the same thing again and again. And th that's exactly what we have to do in the outsourcing business. That's where a lot of monotony sets in and we have to keep working. That they have to keep doing the same work again and again but the smaller bits where you can break your process, if uh, the, uh, there's X amount of work to be done, try and break, uh, break that work into small, smaller bits of work. One, then one person is doing the same thing. You can train him to do the same thing again and again uh, every day. The chances of somebody making an error reduces over there. Plus, you can achieve getting the same thing done with a lesser skilled person compared to a higher skilled person. That is, even when the skill set of a person is less, if you break your process into smaller parts and these you assign these people smaller bits of work to be done again and again, the chances of you error reduces. The person gets very comfortable and you are able to get the work done with a cheaper resource or a lesser skill resource. The second advantage here is, uh, in this business, there is a lot of turnover of people. Uh, because, of course, uh, we, we, uh, the growth potential here for people is lesser compared to the, when you look at the pyramid. The pyramid in this business is very broad at bottom and very narrow at the top. And it really uh, tapers very fast. So the growth potential for people is very less. So people really do not stick in this business for a very long period of time. When you've broken your process into smaller pieces, what happens is it is easier to train a new guy to take over. If somebody's leaving, it is very easy to train somebody so that in, in which case you don't really have to have a very large bench of people to meet the SLAs uh, that you might have signed with their clients. So, so can I ask on that, Ajay? So that's very interesting, right, when it comes to sort of the cost efficiencies. And then, as you say, you split it down into its smallest level. So if you do have attrition, you can have it replaced. But that would, to me, would uh, be the same type of case that you would use for machine learning and sort of using AI to do sort of those type of tasks. 
Um, and so to talk, the, the question in its more general sort of sense is that for, from a risk and competition point of view is how do you protect your business from advances in technology um, um, or incorporate them possibly? And then if I was to uh, sort of break it a bit further, emerging nations are often competing for the same investment. How do you compete against them? There, there will be new locations that will come up where uh, more companies will be there. The advantage uh, that a regular location has that you already have a certain catchment area. When, when you get into a new location, new locations generally tend up uh, tend to become a training training ground initially. Uh, second uh, advantage that some locations have is in the overall number of people that we uh, we have, especially when we are talking of India and Gurgaon, uh, as we look at our uh, our advantage. Uh, there are certain locations that came up, and uh, where, where if four or five thousand people get hired, right, it becomes uh, like a saturation point. Where in Delhi Gurgaon area itself, there are probably about two hundred thousand people working in this business, and still, if want, we want to hire another fifty thousand people, there, there there are about fifty thousand new graduates coming out of. Uh, in the national capital region uh, of Delhi alone uh, every year. So new kids coming up, that's the biggest advantage that we have. That that keeps the cost low. New locations come and very soon they're outpriced themselves because there's a question of demand and supply. Uh, That's uh, our experience and our confidence on the Delhi NCR or India's specific uh, point where you, you can see like uh, even in uh, IT outsourcing, people are, uh, understand that IT outsourcing happens and a lot of people have come in. But the kind of numbers that India can provide, it's difficult for other locations to provide those numbers. We definitely have a demographic uh, dividend in this case where 65% of the population in India is below 35 years of age. So uh, that, that makes almost like all of Europe's. Yeah, so uh, one is uh, security numbers. And uh, we, we, we get a lot of people to uh, actually talk to so some of the simplest of all the things that we have to do. And uh, we, we find people who are like MBAs or qualified engineers walking in to do a very, very simple task because obviously they're not enough jobs otherwise. So we, uh, we, we are able to find much more skilled people out there, at least much more academically trained people. And then we have to train them into our own business. A lot of times we have to bring, bring them a bit, uh, bit down to make sure that uh, they're, uh, they're able to. The second question that you asked was machine learning and artificial intelligence. Uh, that's honestly speaking, except for a few businesses, a few businesses, I'll tell you, like specifically uh, when you talk of travel business, there was a lot of outsourcing that was happening in the travel business. A lot of that part has actually gone uh, into data-driven analysis and a lot of analytics have happened and people are able to go onto the web and just use that technology to do it. Some people are doing it in the uh, HR sector. So uh, it is evolving. How it will impact everything in the very long run uh, is still a big, big question to be seen because when uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning take over, 
some of the business in the BPO segment now, some of the business that is there in the IT moves over because then the kind of data and information that needs to be fed for the machine, that becomes the BPO business. So work that is currently being done by the high and analytics uh, more uh, software-driven business and where people have to keep writing new codes or new probably SQL queries and things like that, that goes onto the AI segment. But uh, I, am, I am pretty confident that human intelligence will always be required. And when you get more intelligent machines, probably the BPO segment will be able to enable what uh, currently the IT segment is. So, so one of the, the interesting things that you mentioned there was the idea of the sort of the, the nation of numbers. And that, that, that's a, like a selling point, a unique selling point with the amount of um, uh, able workers and um, and educated workers that that can um, uh, you could add and, and build a business with. But in when you were saying that you mentioned the sort of the t- narrow top and the, the, the sort of the pyramid uh, of um, uh, progression. right? And Alan asked, asked uh, I think, a really inter- interesting question. Does this narrow top of pyramid and the constant turnover of people prompt an entrepreneurial culture and environment? Um, uh, yeah, and I suppose uh, wider to that, the sort of societal impact of outsourcing and offshoring. Could you could you uh, talk about a little bit about that, Ajay? See, uh, this is a great starting point for people, and uh, what, what essentially has happened here in India, uh, I'll talk about more of India, which I've seen in happening, is that a lot of kids who came out of the college got into this, uh, the BPO business and got used to the global way of working and uh, were able to understand global thought process and uh, the global scale of how things need to be done. So that was, that, that has really been a big move for this new generation that has come of people who actually started uh, as a ba- ba- basically the BPO segment, but then they were able to understand uh, how, how things work on a global scale and have been able to move, uh, move further on. The, the second aspect is besides the direct employment uh, that this industry has brought into uh, uh, business. There is a lot of support system that comes in. Like uh, when, when you set up a system over here for, say, uh, you, you set up a BPO unit, let's say 400, 500 people uh, working. So there will be, as I said, there will be a lot of cab drivers, there will be a lot of uh, tra- transport facilities that will be provided, there will be food facilities that will be provided. It is like it's amazing to consider, as I said, the, the, as you said, the indirect deployment and how far reaching an investment in such an area can um, and the impact that can have. Uh, one of the things I've noticed actually is that, like in Ireland, a lot of the local chamber, business chambers, and societies are are, are taking ownership to try attract the FDI uh, and try and attract the, the the business to locate to them and are changing the infrastructure uh, pre a contract. So, so nearly the societal impact is. Um, is created before the, the, the business is attracted. Would you say that there is much responsibility of the local regions to, to attract investment in India? Yeah, they, uh, they actually do. Uh, in, in fact, the way things came to the NCR, there were certain uh, 
office buildings that were created that could actually hold uh, these businesses. Uh, the infrastructure, the bandwidth was actually pre-installed. Uh, the offices were pre-installed. And they were, of course, they were commercially rented out to people. But the infrastructure was created before people wanted to come. Because uh, that that is the infrastructure that people could go and say, yes, this is already in place and uh, we can start working on this. So initial infrastructure was definitely provided uh, STPI, Software Technology Parks of India. They actually provided the bandwidth. Uh, they provided a decent large-scale bandwidth in one building where people can quickly pick up and start moving around with their business so that uh, there's not a uh, lead time for because if you want to set up MPLS connectivity, uh, you you have to request for this MPLS connectivity and connectivity and long distance uh, various hubs it has to be connected. So uh, they build those connectivities with various large scale outsourcing areas. The uh, initial push from the government was there. NASCOM has been very instrumental, which took the companies and their skill sets uh, to various clients abroad and uh, brought those clients in India through exhibitions to be able to promote these businesses. Interesting. Uh, and it just goes to show that it, 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 it's how successful and how important it is when you get that right. Okay, well, I, I suppose I'm going to throw it over to the, the audience here now um, uh, if, there, if there's any questions. If you, if you do, just put it into the chat or put up your hand. I have one last question, maybe. Um, Ajaya, uh, do any of your uh, customers come and visit your site? Do they travel from the US or Europe to, to visit you? Is that a frequent thing? Yeah, it is a frequent thing. We, we, we do get clients who, uh, who want to come, who want to see. Uh, they want to come and meet people. It has gone down a bit uh, now because of a lot of video conferencing and those kind of facilities now uh, much available, but once in a while, everybody wants to come. And personal visits and personal interactions, definitely. It, it always uh, is important. Okay, thanks, Ajay. And thanks, Alan, for the question. Okay, guys, well, I, I, that, that's flown by, which is, uh, which is great. But uh, So I just want to thank you, Ajay, again, for taking the time out of your, your busy day across the other side of the planet. It's really appreciated. And um, I, I learned personally a lot, and I hope that the audience did too. Um, so for everyone that has uh, listened in, Uh, Thank you, Uh, stay safe, and that's the end of the podcast.